The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. We have got a lot to get to on this episode of the podcast. Of course, we're going to talk about Carson Wentz going to the Washington Commanders, a hilarious set of events that took place this week, and we're going to break it all down with Mark Bullock, who's a fantastic writer about the Washington Commanders, formerly of The Athletic, but he has his own Substack now, and it's terrific. Uh, so we'll tell you about that coming up when we talk to him in just a few minutes. But there's also a ton of other stuff to get to. Big Deshaun Watson news that came down at the end of the week. Russell Wilson getting traded. The Russell Wilson dream is dead. Aaron Rodgers is staying with the Green Bay Packers. We've got news on Calvin Ridley and the Eagles' interest in him before he got suspended. Fletcher Cox and the trade whispers going on with him. And then, of course, maybe we're burying the lead, but Jason Kelsey returning for the 2022 season. So just a slew of information to get to here on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. But we've got to start off talking about the Eagles' former franchise quarterback, Carson Wentz, most recently, of course, of the Indianapolis Colts, now getting dealt to the Washington Commanders. Yet another football franchise has traded real assets to acquire Carson Wentz. The second time in two off-seasons it's happening. This is just too hilarious to contemplate. I mean, it really is. I, I could I was having a conversation because this all happened on the day that Jeff McClain came out with his article in which he detailed information of Carson Wentz getting into a fight with a teammate during the 2017 season uh, because right before the NFC Championship game, he was expressing his displeasure, his, uh, you know, his unhappiness with the fact the team was having so much success without him and apparently got into had to be got nearly got into a fight with one of his other injured teammates LeGarrette Blunt and uh, Brian Mitchell are both saying that it was Darren Sproles is the player who confronted Carson Wentz during that 2017-18 Super Bowl run and almost got into a fight with Carson Wentz because Carson was being so overly egotistical and me first you know it's just Unbelievable stuff. So we were talk. I was talking about that with a coworker uh, who used to be a Washington fan, and then because he's a big Carson Wentz guy, went over and became a Colts fan, and now doesn't really know what to do with Carson Wentz being back, uh, being with the Commanders now. Well, we were talking about this story, and it just so happened that the trade came down as we were talking about it. I mean, just just mind blowing the timing uh, of all of this, and. 
I, I know listening to BGN radio and listening to Jimmy and Brandon talk about this, I, I'm, I'm as shocked as they are that somehow, somehow the Colts were able to get some kind of compensation for Carson Wentz. They were probably going to cut him. It's just amazing how Carson Wentz is in this Goldilocks situation. He's got a coach that had been pining for him, stuck his neck out for Carson Wentz. We need Carson Wentz. I can fix him. I did great things with him in Philadelphia in, in 2017, and, 20, and, and I, can, I can make Carson Wentz great again. They gave him every opportunity. They surrounded him with an excellent team, an MVP caliber running back. He's in a culture, in a city that is perfect for him, seemingly. Me, matching kind of his all shucks Midwest kind of kind of kind of spiel that he that he puts out there, it was perfect. You could not have asked for a more perfect situation for Carson Wentz. And the late season collapse was was startling to see on the field. We we all know the on field issues that he has, and we're going to talk to Mark about more of them uh, coming up here in in just a couple of minutes. But if if the issues with Carson Wentz in Indianapolis were strictly on field things. As disappointed as Jim Ursay and the rest of the Colts front office may have been, I can understand that maybe they probably would have said something along the lines of, "Man, that was a that was a real tough way to end the season. We didn't like it. We're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to make sure the quarterback is better and make sure that the team is better moving forward." But if Carson Wentz was a good locker room guy, was a guy that the rest of the team rallied around, was somebody that you felt really good as your franchise quarterback, being the face of your franchise. There's no way the cuts are the, the Colts are cutting him or trading him. There's there's no way they're talking about moving on from him after one year after you gave up a third round pick and a first round pick for him. There's no way you're eating that if it was just strictly dissatisfaction with his on field play, which tells you all you need to know about Carson Wentz, right? The fact that the Colts who invested so much in him, that took a chance on him, stuck their necks out for him. That they're ready to, they were ready to move on without any compensation and without a backup plan in place. I mean, it's not like they've got a young quarterback that they've drafted with, within the last couple of years that they feel good about handing the reins to. They're going to have to go out and get somebody else. Another new quarterback. They've been rotating through quarterbacks one a year for the last five years. They had every motivation to do everything they could to make the Carson Wentz situation work in Indianapolis. And it must have been so bad there off the field and on the field that they said, we're, we're, we're done. We're done. If it was just on the field stuff, I believe the Colts would have held on to him. But it's obviously more than that. And the fact that Washington, seeing all of this, gave up at the worst, at the I'm sorry, at best, two third-round picks, one this year and one next year. But that next year's third-round pick can be a second-rounder if Wentz plays 70% of the snaps. Is, this, is mind-boggling. And yes, there's going to be another Carson Wentz tracker. you got to be kidding me with this. Not only that, the team's also swapped second-rounders. So Washington moves back in the second round from 42 to 47. And BLG on, on BGN Radio said it was the same value as a fourth-round pick, that move. It's just crazy. And Washington is paying the full $28 million due to Carson Wentz this year. It's not even like they're getting Carson Wentz on a good, cheap deal where the Colts are picking up a lot of this money. The, Washington's even on the hook for a $5 million roster bonus next week. It's insanity. It really is. And it's a fascinating situation that Carson Wentz is going from one of the most stable organizations in the NFL to perhaps its worst organization. I would argue Jacksonville is in the running. 
But you can't ask for a worse situation for a player to succeed than to go to Washington. Now, I think Ron Rivera is a good coach. He seems to have gotten some stability over that franchise a little bit. But Dan Snyder is still the coach of that. It's still the owner of that team. And there are controversies surrounding Washington all the time. And once has Terry McLaurin, they have Antonio Gibson. He, he, he has some good pieces there. But it's just a hilarious turn of events that Carson Wentz is now back in the NFC East. He's going to be coming back to Philadelphia this year. He's going to have to go back to Indianapolis this year. I, it's, I, and I, Washington had to do something when they missed out on Russell Wilson. I get it. They, they need a quarterback. They, they needed a quarterback. But they are delusional if they think, well, let me say this. I would say there is a 10% chance that Carson Wentz works out for them. Like he can take them on a deep playoff run. Because that's really what Washington is after here. Carson Wentz to be kind of their new franchise quarterback. And these kinds of situations have worked before, but in slightly different circumstances. We've seen quarterbacks go from one team to another and have more success. We saw it with Nick Foles, right? Nick Foles was really good with the Eagles when he first in his first season, then lost the starting job, was wandering in the wilderness, came back to the Eagles as the backup. Never had the starter's job in Philadelphia, by the way. We always forget that, but he went on those late playoff runs. But, you know, Nick Foles was never the starter in Philadelphia when he came back for a full season. So again, that situation is a little different. You look at like Randall Cunningham. Randall Cunningham was a lot like Carson Wentz. Certainly more athletic, more more of a running quarterback. But Car- but Randall Cunningham also had some insane passing numbers while he was in Philadelphia in his first five seasons with the team, first six seasons with the team. Took him to the had more playoffs, you know, had more regular season success than Carson Wentz had. But there was obviously huge flaws in Randall Cunningham's game. He left the Eagles after the 1995 season, kind of disappeared for a couple of years, and then reemerged in Minnesota without his mobility and rededicated himself to getting better and being a pocket passer, and with Randy Moss and Chris Carter to throw to, had the best season a quarterback, maybe one of the best seasons a quarterback has ever had before, throwing the football. So that was that, So that's possible. I think another example is Kurt Warner, who was the quarterback for the greatest show on turf, lost the starting job with the Rams, ended up with the Giants, was not very good there, and then went over to the Cardinals where he rediscovered his mojo and got back to another Super Bowl. Kurt Warner might be the best example of this, but Kurt Warner, again, had more success than Carson Wentz did. He won a Super Bowl, went to two before he came back to the Cardinals. But that's what you're hoping for. You're hoping that you pick up this this quarterback who has some serious deficiencies, maybe busted a little bit, but that you can fix him. But like, is Washington the QB whisperer? Is Ron Rivera really going to really going to create a, a better quarterback in Carson Wentz? Man, I don't know. We're going to talk to Mark Bullock about that because I want to get his insight. He covers the team. He knows that offense. He knows that coaching staff inside and out. So uh, we're going to talk to Mark Bullock, Washington Commanders writer, formerly of The Athletic, now has a fantastic Substack, a newsletter that you want to keep an eye on. MarkBullock.Substack.com is how you access that. Follow him on Twitter at MarkBullockNFL. Mark, uh, obviously, Washington, I think, based on my first reading of it, and I live in the Washington area, so I've been kind of hearing a little bit of this firsthand, but uh, it's a mixed bag of reactions so far. I think Washington fans want to believe that this can work out, 
but I don't believe in their hearts that most Washington fan, most Washington fans do believe that this is going to work out. What is your just your initial reaction when you when you saw the trade come down the other day? Yeah, I, I, I think you're kind of right there. Um, my my initial reaction was kind of ah they they what are they doing? Um, and <laughs> just kind of sinking into like oh well. The, the the issue I have with it is I I don't hate Carson Wentz as a quarterback. I, I, I obviously he's a flawed quarterback, but he's certainly the most talented guy they've had at quarterback for a good few years. Um, it's just the I, I don't know what the vision is. I don't know is is this mm. the the bridge to the next guy? Are they gonna are they gonna draft Malik Willis at, at eleven or or Kenny Pickett and and sit them behind Wentz for a year and then and then cut bait because that they can with that with that contract there's no dead cap hits um if they cut him after next year um but if that is the plan then why are they why are they giving up draft picks for a guy that's just yeah. going to be a bridge um so th- that I don't like but uh, the the other side of that is maybe they think he's the guy and and they want to build around him and and they're going to go aggressive and and restructure some contracts make some cap room and I don't know go after if Amari Cooper's cut from the Cowboys, go after a Cooper and, you know, make some big swings and, and try mm. to go all in. But, you know, the, the the part of that is, is, is Carson Wentz the guy you want to go all in on? I, I, I don't know. Right. Well, there's a couple things here. I mean, if they do draft somebody like Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett, like you mentioned, we saw how that went over when the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts and, and Carson Wentz yeah. was the quarterback. Yeah. Uh, he, he was not exactly mentally strong enough to deal with that terribly well. But also, if you are if you're hitching your wagons to Carson Wentz as as your guy moving forward, it just it's ignoring a lot of the the recent history that we've seen from that we've seen from the guy because I think. And I think maybe I fell into this trap too in the 2020 season when he really first started to fall apart. He played really relatively well in 2018 and 2019 when he came back, although it's clear. And I think everybody who is enamored with Carson Wentz needs to needs to realize the guy who almost who would have won the MVP award in 2017 is not coming back. He's not walking back through that door like that knee injury, I think, has taken a taken something from him and for teams to continue give up giving up the draft capital like Washington did here it seems to me they're giving up they could give up a you know a third and a second next year for a guy that I don't think you make that move for just one year for a guy now who's going to be 30 and his is probably never going to be that guy he he once we once thought he was going to be yeah it's 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 a little bit puzzling um kind of either way you look at it i i don't necessarily love the move um i think i i, I think if 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 the Colts had been willing to cut him, as we've kind of seen reports that, you know, he's, he's going to be, they were going to move on for him no matter what, um, which, which, you know, doesn't, doesn't exactly lead to good thoughts about his suitability to be your, your quarterback. But um, I think if he would, you'd be able to sell him to a fan base better if he was a free agent and he's signed on a, you know, one year, $10 million contract as, Hey, this is our, Mm bridge this is what that's exactly what they did with Ryan Fitzpatrick last year yes, um, yes. so if, if that was the case I think that would be fine and, and people would be like well okay there's the they swung and missed on Russell Wilson Aaron Rodgers was never coming there and and, and uh you know Deshaun Watson is someone that this team in particular probably shouldn't really even think about and and so they're 
they took the swings that they could, but they couldn't land anyone, and and it's not the necessarily the best draft class. Uh, and you know, mm-hmm. that's how you end up on. That's fine, but like to then go and trade away the draft capital that you did, which you know, if Carson Wentz turns out somehow to find his form from twenty seventeen, then a third round pick and a second round pick is nothing. But when you're potentially going to be having to find another quarterback at, at some point in the next few years, like not having that second round pick and the third round pick, like so two of Washington's best weapons on offense were third round picks. Antonio Gibson and Terry McCorm were third round picks. So it's not mm. like you can't get very good players in the third round. And especially like this draft is, is highly thought of as not necessarily a top loaded draft, but it's very, very deep. And so mm. missing out picks in, in the middle of rounds, you're, you're missing out very good contributors. So not being able to necessarily build the same talent level that you could have done. Um, it, yeah. it, it's, it's a confusing move um, in, in that regard. Um, but, you know, I, I guess, I guess it's a kind of all in move on him. I was trying to think, and, and the Ryan Fitzpatrick point you made, uh, I was going to, I was going to actually ask you about that because last year Washington fans were, I think, I don't know if excited is the right word, but I think there was a lot of confidence that getting Ryan Fitzpatrick in the fold was going to give them a really good shot at, at making the playoffs because they, they saw a guy who is a flawed quarterback. No doubt about Ryan Fitzpatrick can get very, very hot, and he can also be very, very cold. Yep. He's never gone deep in the playoffs but for, for anybody, but he certainly was better than anything they'd had on hand before. I think Carson Wentz is a better quarterback yep. than Ryan Fitzpatrick was last year. I don't, I don't think there's any denying that. I also think he's a better quarterback than Taylor Heineke. I, I, don't, yep. I don't think there's really any question there. And as, as you've watched him, I mean, there's obviously there there are portions and and segments of time where Carson Wentz plays very well when he's got his mechanics down and he's playing within a system he's he can still be a very productive quarterback but what do you see in him that that gets in the way because you see the 27 touchdowns and the seven interceptions and you see a guy who you look on the stat sheet you think this is a guy that you should be able to win with and and yet last year as we saw it it didn't happen and we saw in 2020 he played the worst football of his career what are you seeing from Carson Wentz as you watch him on tape as you watch him on film that gives you the most concern yeah for for me it's um there, there's two issues for me um well, well there's more than two issues but there's there's two main issues and and, and one is that he really he doesn't know how to accept a, that a play is is bad or it's broken mm-hmm. and it's busted and, and there's no saving it. And the best thing to do is, you know, either sometimes just eat a sack or throw the ball away. Um, so instead, he always tries to, you know, you, you like the mindset of thinking I can save this play and, you know, have the athleticism and, and the frame to be able to shrug off defenders and, and run around and, and find uh, an open receiver going off script. Like, that he creates some of the best plays in the league doing that, but he also creates some of the worst plays in the league when when that doesn't go to plan and then that doesn't work for him and and so he can he can turn he can turn bad plays into exceptional plays, but he can turn bad plays into horrific plays. And the, the right. example that was last year was I think it was the Titans game where he was in the, his own end zone and, and he was trying to throw a screen, but he, it wasn't open. So <laughs> he, he thought about throwing it away and, and then realized that that would be an intentional grounding penalty. So instead he, he put the ball to his left hand because he was being tackled by on his right. And he tried to just lob the ball with his left hand to someone to throw it away and ended up throwing it straight to a defender who immediately scored a touchdown. So rather than just accepting, okay, this is 
players bust and, and, you know, it sucks to take a safety, but it's much better to take a safety than throwing an interception that goes for a touchdown. So, um, you know, he can compound bad, bad plays into horrific plays. And, and, and that is one big trait that I, I dislike about him. And, and the other, the other one was his mechanics can be very sloppy and you kind of mentioned it and I'm sure Eagles fans are, are well aware of it is his mechanics can get very messed up, especially when he's having to progress through a read from one side of the field to the other. If he's having to work from his right to his left very quickly, it can be pretty hard for him to get his feet set properly and his hips and his shoulders and his feet all aligned towards what his target is. And that can cause him to really miss quite a few throws. So those for me are his two real big issues. It seems to me that here's a guy who was able to overcome a lot of that stuff when he was when he had his athleticism. Do, do you agree that the that the the knee injury transformed him into a different quarterback? And I'm I'm sure this must this must bring back painful memories of another quarterback who looked like he was going to be on a star track until <laughs> knee injuries derailed his career, and that's Robert Griffin the third. I just think there's I think there are some similarities between these two guys. Yeah, I, I think Griffin probably relied on that athleticism, athleticism a little bit more because uh, he was a little bit more raw as a quarterback um, and, and needed the athleticism. I, I think Carson Wentz still has some decent ability as a quarterback. And and from what I, I saw of him, I, I've, I think I've watched five or six games of the Colts now from last year, and he's still able to move around. It's not like he's Peyton Manning at four years old in the pocket that if he takes one step, you think he, his knee might snap. He, he's not, right. he, he's not, he's not a statue back there. Yes. Um, and, and yeah. you know, he can still scramble and run around and dodge tackles and, and create plays off script when he needs to, but it's certainly not what it once was. I, I'd, I'd 100% agree with you with that. Um, yes, it probably does impact a guy like that because when you have been that athletic uh, and you've been able to bail yourself out of bad situations by just scrambling around and going off script and and having a cannon for an arm to launch at 50 yards downfield like that that can bail you out of a lot of situations yeah. and and he can still do that um to to an extent but it's not quite what it once was uh, i'd agree with you so yeah it um he he is a different quarterback to what he once was and and certainly at some point he was always going to have to make a transition to being a little bit more of a pocket passer. And, and as I say, he still can move around. It's not like he's a statue, but um, being able mm-hmm. to stick in the pocket a little bit more and be willing to do that and, and progress through reads and, and and kind of work from one to two to three to four, he needs to rather than just one to two and then, you know, scramble around. So uh, yeah, that he is kind of a work in progress in terms of developing from one style of quarterback into another. Do you think he's better than Taylor Heineke? Is he a better option yeah. than Taylor Heineke? Yeah, hundred um, percent. And I'm planning to put out an article on this in the coming days. the The play style is is not too dissimilar. They're they're both kind of a little bit gunslinger mentality. They they like to try to push the ball downfield, and they they like to go off script and and scramble around and and make things happen. They have that little bit of that playmaker mentality, but uh, the difference is, is that Carson Wentz has the arm and the athleticism to back that up, whereas Taylor Heineke doesn't. And, and quite often you'd see Heineke scramble around and and then see Terry McLaurin 40 yards downfield and try to launch it to him, but he just didn't have the arm to get it there. Whereas mm. Wentz, you know, 
he can just flick it and it's 60 yards down the field and it's no effort for him. So um, there, there to me, there's no real comparison. Wentz is definitely better than, than Heineke. Um, the, the question I think that is possibly more apt is, the, is Wentz a better fit in this offense than Heineke? And, and, mm. and will Wentz take time to learn this offense? Because Wentz has only been in one offense his entire career, as far as I'm right. aware. Um, you, you know, it's, presumably Frank Reich's offense is the same as what the Colts offense, uh, what the Eagles offense was when Reich was there. So, um, yeah, you'd think that was the same offense his whole NFL career, whereas now he's doing a new system um, and he's coming in and, and Heineke. Heineke's been with Scott Turner since Scott Turner was with the Vikings. And, and then when Scott Turner went to Carolina to team up with Rivera, Heineke went there and now Heineke's with both of them in Washington. So he's been in this system forever. So he knows this system. So that's the only thing that might give Heineke an advantage is that he knows the system. And obviously he knows the, the teammates and the receivers and how they like to run routes and the timing of that kind of stuff. But um, certainly just as a pure talent, Carson Wentz, hands down, is, is a better talent than Taylor Heineke. What are the big differences between the two offenses as you see it? I mean, I, I know coming from Philadelphia, where, where I, I didn't get a chance to watch Indy's offense a lot, but if it was anything like the Eagles' offense was during Carson Wentz's tenure, it was you know a fair amount of RPOs. But again, the, the, the offense with Wentz got a little muddled when he was in Philadelphia because it was kind of one offense when Nick Foles was there, and then it was another offense when Wentz was there. And there was some controversy as to whether or not you know Wentz didn't want to run a lot of RPO plays and, and he wanted to take more shots down the field. Yeah, and, and you kind of saw that with the Colts. They, they didn't run quite so many RPOs. They were still obviously there, but there wasn't kind of a, a natural evolution of those RPOs it was still the same ones that you saw with the Eagles before that so it, it was kind of obvious when it was coming um but there was there was some more shots down the field and he certainly was aggressive attacking down the field um the, the difficult part of that is Scott Turner's offense we I, I don't think we've fully seen what Scott Turner's offense is because in Carolina he didn't really have Cam Newton he only had Kyle Allen um and, mm-hmm. and here he's only had Kyle Allen and, and Taylor Heineke. So he's kind of had to very much reel his offense in to try to get the most out of them. And and, and that has involved things like RPOs and um, trying to do lots of quick game stuff and doing things like using empty packages where they, they spread the defense out and they'll have a running back outside and a wide receiver in the slot and a tight end between them and all this kind of thing. And trying to create different mismatches and then being able to be like, okay, well now we've got McLaurin on a linebacker. We'll just run a quick slant and hit that for 15 yards. So um, those are the kind of things that Scott Turner's had to do for Heineke and Allen. Um, I think with Carson Wentz, we'll see a little bit more of a, a downfield offense because this system has in the past always been a downfield system. Um, you think of, North Turner, obviously Scott Turner's father, and North Turner's offense was, it's known as the Air Coriel offense. And it's about throwing the ball down the field and um, and then working off of that. So once you get teams sitting back deep, protecting against the deep balls on the outside, then then you can hit the timing, like come back and curl routes and that kind of thing and, mm-hmm. get, and get those corners to kind of start jumping up again. And then you can hit back over the top. So um, I think that's what we'll see with, with Carson Wentz in this offense is, is a lot more attacking down the field than, than what we've seen with Heineke simply because he can and Heineke can't. Um, but uh, it, it's hard to tell exactly. It will be very interesting to see actually this year exactly what Scott Turner's 
ideal offense is because now he's got a quarterback that is at least capable of pushing the ball down the field. So Mark, last thing for you, what is your level of confidence that this is going to work out for Washington? Like on a scale of one to 10, one being not confident at all, 10 being really confident, (laughs) what's your confidence level that this is going to work out for them? Well, it depends what we classify as working out, um, whether if the plan is they're going to go all in and, and try to surround them with talent and, you know, that they want to be a Super Bowl contender, then I, I, I'm at a one. I don't think they're going to be a Super Bowl contender with Carson Wentz. But if the idea is that they need him to be the best quarterback they can get so that Ron Rivera can keep his job and, um, and, and you know, win enough games to go to the playoffs next year, I, I feel kind of confident that they can do that. I, I think when you consider that they they won seven games last year with, with Taylor Heineke at quarterback and and... A, a lot of injuries and some COVID issues. And um, and they had, I think, the second or third worst schedule or hardest schedule in the league last year. Um, and obviously, they're now going to a much easier schedule, having not finished in first place in the NFC East. Right. So, um, yeah, they, they, I think that kind of combination of factors should, with, with Wentz coming in, should allow them to win more games and and maybe they push towards sort of nine or 10 wins rather than seven or eight. Uh, it might only be marginal, but that, that probably would just be enough to, to squeeze them into the playoffs. And, and, and that would probably just be enough to keep Rivera's job. So if that is what we define as this working out, then I, I, I would say probably more of a sort of seven, six, seven, eight kind of confidence level, but out of 10, but if the, if the plan is we're going all in and we're going for a Super Bowl, then my, my confidence is one or two. Folks, make sure you are listening to everything, reading everything Mark is doing on his Substack. It's markbullock.substack.com. He's writing terrific stuff about uh, the Washington Commanders. And and now, you know, Eagles fans, we're, we're going to be invested in this, Mark. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. it's, we, we, it's just one of those things. There's always going to be that connection uh, between Eagles fans and Carson Wentz. And it's going to be mostly antagonistic moving forward. But we're going to be seriously interested in uh, reading your work. So also make sure you follow him on Twitter at NFL. Hey, Mark. Mark, thanks for joining me on Eye on the Enemy. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, of course, anytime. When we come back, we're going to get into some of the other stuff that's going on this week. We're going to talk to Sean Watson, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Calvin Ridley, Fletcher Cox, Jason Kelsey, all of those big topics coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. 
And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So let's get into some other news from around the NFL, specifically as it relates to the Birds. And we got some big news about Deshaun Watson on Friday. We found out that he will not face criminal charges for the many allegations of sexual assault that are facing him. He's been accused by numerous massage therapists of sexual assault, but will not face criminal charges, which I think is the green light a lot of NFL teams were waiting for before pursuing a trade with the Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson has made it clear that he wants out of Houston even before all of his legal troubles began. Those wheels were in motion. And of course, being suspended by the NFL for a year um, certainly put the brakes on that. But now that his legal situation is somewhat clarified. I think you're going to see some NFL teams really push the pedal to the metal now, especially with as as many teams in need, good teams in need of good quarterbacks. Of course, he is still the subject of civil lawsuits and could still face a suspension by the league for his behavior, but probably no more than a month or two of this upcoming season, depending on what the NFL's investigation found out about uh, about all these different things. But according to Aaron Wilson of the Pro Football Network, he reported on Friday that there were 10 teams still in on Deshaun, Deshaun Watson, but the Eagles are no longer one of them, apparently. General Manager Howie Roseman uh, conducted significant due diligence on Watson before last season, according to Aaron Wilson. And he said the Eagles even sent an investigator to Houston to look into the legal situation and contact Rusty Harden, Watson's attorney. I think we knew that information. What we also knew at the time is that Watson appeared to have the Eagles on his no-trade list, and that does not appear to have changed. Watson has never been inclined to waive his no-trade clause to the Eagles, according to Aaron Wilson. So he has the Eagles as out on Deshaun Watson here. Um noting also that the Eagles have publicly committed to Jalen Hurts as their quarterback. I, I, and I think this is good news, and here's why. I wrote something on Twitter. I wrote a tweet on Twitter that is uh, getting uh, a lot of attention because I think people are misunderstanding a little bit what I'm trying to say with this tweet. I said, Deshaun Watson isn't enough of an upgrade over Jalen Hurts to, do, to deal away multiple picks— and risk messing with the locker room ramifications of bringing in a guy with a checkered off-field history to replace a guy who is beloved by his teammates. For Russ, sure, not Watson. And people are taking that tweet for, to say that I don't think Deshaun Watson is a large upgrade over Jalen Hurts. Understand, folks, that Twitter only allows you a certain number of characters between. What I am saying here is that Deshaun Watson is an outstanding quarterback. And you look at what he's done... In his, in his three years in the league or four years in the league, he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL over that time. He, had, he did take the Texans to the, to the playoffs a couple of times, won a playoff game with the Texans. No doubt about the fact he's a very good quarterback. His last season when he put up insane numbers in 2019, pardon me, in, a, in, in 2020, the team went 4-12 and with him as their starting quarterback. Now, I understand he had a bad team around him, but... How do you go 4-12 and with Deshaun Watson as your quarterback? Was the rest of the team really that bad? It really, he's good. He's a very, very good quarterback. And he's young. I get it. But with Russell Wilson, you have a guy who'd won a Super Bowl, a guy who'd been to a couple Super Bowls, a guy who, before he got hurt last year, was still playing at an elite level. And people accuse me of not having seen Deshaun Watson play a lot. I'll admit, I don't sit and watch Deshaun Watson every week, but I know how good he is. I also know how good Russell Wilson is. I know how good he was before he got hurt last year. I know how good he still is. I know how good he's going to be for the Denver Broncos. And I know he's more of a sure thing. If you're a team that wants to be a Super Bowl contender, getting Russell Wilson, you're more of a sure thing, I believe, to be a Super Bowl contender than Deshaun Watson. 
Because you don't know what you're going to get out of Deshaun Watson in 2022. He didn't play all last year. And you don't know what legal stuff is still hanging over his head. You also don't know how many games he's going to miss this year. And you're going to give up another two first-round picks for Deshaun Watson? And you also have to take a look at the lot. Like, you could sell, and, and Mike K talked about this on the show a little bit last week. You could sell the locker room going from Jalen Hurts to Russell Wilson. Because Russell Wilson, in that locker room, I'm sure, is 100% respected as a winner and a true franchise quarterback. Right? So if you, the, the locker room apparently loves Jalen Hurts. He's universally loved in that locker room. They believe in him as a leader. They believe in him as a, as a, a guy who can win games for them. So if you're going to shake up the locker room and take out a guy like Jalen Hurts, you've got to be very careful about who that next guy is. You can sell the locker room on Russell Wilson, I think, more easily than you can sell the locker room on Deshaun Watson. A better player than Jalen Hurts, for sure. For sure, a much better player than Jalen Hurts. If you're strictly talking about on-field, all everything else being equal, I absolutely make that deal. But there are the off-field issues that come with Deshaun Watson, and when you contrast that to the belovedness that Jalen Hurts feels in that locker room and all of the draft capital you would have to give up, I don't think it's worth it. That's what I'm saying. I'm not sitting here telling you that these that Deshaun Watson and Jalen Hurts are close in terms of talent. And I'm not telling you that Deshaun Watson wouldn't make the Eagles a better team in 2022. But how much better is up for some debate. Does it make the Eagles a true Super Bowl contender? What is Deshaun Watson going to look like in 2022 whenever he gets back on the field? There's a lot of question marks. People are thinking you just plug Deshaun Watson in there and you go. There's a lot of other ramifications, that unintended consequences, other butterfly effect things that, that happen if you bring Deshaun Watson and all of the baggage that comes with that into this situation. Like, if you're going to bring a guy like that in, Deshaun Watson has to have already been to a Super Bowl and maybe won one. That's my point. If you're going to bring a guy with that kind of baggage into this locker room to replace a guy who's universally beloved, he better have already been to a Super Bowl. Not somebody who's 1-2 and two in the playoffs and whose last season in the league he went 4-12. and 12. That's what I'm saying. So I hope that clears it up a little bit. And if you still disagree, that's fine. Twitter's fine for disagreement. Sports is, you know, we got to be able to disagree with each other on Twitter and in sports without getting mad. And I'm not mad. I'm just trying to clarify. But I don't, I don't, you know, people come at me, I, I don't care if you think I'm an idiot on Twitter. I don't care. I don't care. It's fine. We can talk about it. It's good. Um, let's move on. Let's talk about Russell Wilson. You know, obviously not coming to the Philadelphia Eagles. This was the dream this offseason, I think, for the Eagles to get Russell Wilson. At the end of the day, I'm glad the Eagles did not give up what the, what the uh, Denver Broncos gave up because the Seahawks got two first rounders and then two second rounders along with a fifth rounder, Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, and Noah Font. I, I'd give up the two first rounders, but I'm not also giving up two second rounders for Russell Wilson. I'm just not, I would not have done that deal. It's too many picks. Uh, it, you know, I realize it's the cost of doing business for the Broncos. It's worth it, but I would not, I would not have done the two second rounders. The Eagles still need a lot of help on defense, and they have ways, and they have to build. The, you know, they give up all those picks. They've still got to build a team around Russell Wilson, right? They still got to go out and get another wide receiver and and strengthen the defense and probably get another running back. And here's a little fun fact. The Eagles did inquire about Russell Wilson, but he would not waive his no trade clause to come to Philly or Washington. So 
there's good news here. The Eagles don't have to give up their first-round picks. They can focus on defense. They can trade one of those first-rounders for a first-rounder next year and give themselves another bite at the apple. I think it's also really good news that Washington didn't get him. I think that was the scarier idea. But if he wasn't going to go to Washington or to Philadelphia, then he wasn't going to go to Washington. He truly did not want to come to the East Coast. Russell Wilson does leave the NFC, leaving one less impactful quarterback in this conference. And he's a guy who routinely killed the Eagles. We will never have to play the Seahawks again with Russell Wilson at quarterback. Hallelujah. Maybe now we have a fighting chance against the Seahawks. We just can, we can never beat that team with Russell Wilson at quarterback. The bad news is, of course, the Eagles really lose their one option to upgrade at quarterback this offseason. But it does make Howie Roseman's decision-making a whole lot easier. Um, you know, I think that one has to assume that Howie already knew that a deal for Russ wasn't going to happen by the time the combine rolled around, and he knew that Hertz would be his guy. So that's one of the reasons why he went out of his way to show vociferous support for Jalen Hurts at the Combine. Um, and I do think there's obviously a lot of work to do with Jalen Hurts. And I'm not confident that Jalen Hurts is going to be this guy moving forward. I think you get him for 2022. And that's why I think it's going to be important this offseason that Howie Roseman arrange things in such a way that he gives himself a chance to upgrade a quarterback next offseason. But Jalen Hurts will be the guy in 2022, barring some circumstances that I just can't foresee right now. Now, if you're hoping that Seattle's going to engage in a full-on rebuild, I don't think that's happening. Adam Schefter doesn't think that's happening. He told 97.5 The Fanatic this week, I don't believe that Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf are available. Obviously, it would be great for the Eagles to offer a first-round pick for DK Metcalf. I think we would all be... Very, very happy to see that happen, or Tyler Lockett. Uh, but there was, the Seahawks are not rebuilding their roster. They are remaking their roster, according to Adam Schefter. Now, how are they going to do that without a quarterback? The latest scuttlebutt seems to be Derek Carr could be on the move from Oakland, and, and maybe they go about getting Derek Carr from the Oakland Raiders. You take Derek Carr out of the loaded AFC West away from Patrick Mahomes and away from the, the division with Justin Herbert and Russell Wilson. And you put him in, uh, you, you know, you put him in the, um, uh, uh, she was the NFC West, which is also pretty, I guess it's pretty loaded too, but it is a little bit better. You put him on the Seahawks and with all those other players around that suddenly, you know, that's suddenly a good situation. The Seahawks are right back in the mix. I think you put, what, where would he be in terms of the NFC quarterback pecking order? It'd be Aaron Rodgers, probably Matthew Stafford, probably, would you put him above Dak Prescott? Probably not. Maybe Dak Prescott is number three, but I think he's number four ahead of Kyler Murray. It's it, He's in that conversation. So the Seahawks certainly give themselves an opportunity to be competitive in, outside of the Packers, a wide open NFC. And we all know what happens with Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs every year. So really, any team in the NFC is a Super Bowl contender here in 2022, which again is why people are pushing for the Eagles to upgrade from Jalen Hurts. But the options out there now really aren't all that palatable from, from my perspective. Aaron Rodgers, of course, early in the week, announcing that he was going to stay with the Packers, agreeing on a four-year, $200 million deal. That is still insane. Makes him the highest paid player in NFL history. $153 million of that is guaranteed. The Packers' cap number goes down somehow. It is a monstrous commitment by Green Bay for years to come. Look for quarterback Jordan Love to be on the move now. Um, so any team looking to get younger at quarterback could take an interest in Jordan Love. I don't think Love looked all that good in the one start that he made in place of Aaron Rodgers this year. Um, but 
Uh, there was a lot of talk about the Broncos perhaps being interested in love. That's not obviously going to happen at this point. Um, but there are some teams out there. Don't look at the Eagles, though. Love is not love is love is less of a, a quarterback prospect than Jalen Hurts is. Um, so love is cheap. Uh, you're going to be able <laughs> love is cheap. Love uh, uh, Jordan Love, I should specify, is cheap. Um, he's not going to make a whole lot of money. So for a team that's looking to build around a young quarterback who may have some promise, they could go after Jordan Love. Uh, I don't think the Packers are going to get anything more than a third or a fourth round pick for him. But if the Packers get that, they obviously should go ahead and pull the trigger on something like that. Uh, that might be uh, something that, uh, you know, maybe the New York Giants bring him in to compete. Uh, maybe the Chicago Bears uh, bring him in to compete for a job. Uh, you know, very interesting to see what happens with Jordan Love at this point. But I think the jury's still out on whether or not he's even going to be a good quarterback in the future. All right, some really interesting notes involving the Eagles this week. The first involving Calvin Ridley. Fox Sports' Jay Glazer reported that the Eagles came close this offseason to trading for Calvin Ridley. What an amazing addition that would have been to the Birds. But this is before the Eagles and the rest of the public knew about his gambling suspension for next year. The Falcons, to their credit, had learned the suspension was coming. They weren't able to say anything about it for legal reasons. They did the right thing by suddenly pulling out of the trade discussions when they knew he was going to be suspended. The Eagles, according to Jay Glazer, were kind of surprised that all of a sudden the Falcons pulled out of the trade negotiations. Then you find out exactly why. So obviously the Eagles appreciative of the Falcons handling their business the right way. And it is a dodged bullet for the Eagles in a way. Better to not trade for Ridley before anyone found out about the suspension than to trade for him and then lose him for the season. But this still stinks because it would have been awesome to have Calvin Ridley in the fold for next year. It would have been a perfect fit for this team. But this does tell us something about the Eagles and what Howie Roseman and how he's approaching this offseason. They are looking to add a significant wide receiver to the mix. And they have to. They have two playable wide receivers right now. So they need to go sign a guy. I know Zach Pascal has been a name that's been hotly talked about because he is a good slot receiver, played in Indianapolis, played for Nick Sirianni. Nick Sirianni loves him, so I would not be at all surprised to see Zach Pascal added to this team. But I do think they obviously, for the right player, are willing to trade some significant draft capital for a stud veteran wide receiver. And Calvin Ridley really was the best option there. I mentioned just a minute ago, DK Metcalf, of course, would be another great option if Seattle was looking to add more picks. But they just got a slew of draft picks from Denver. So I don't think they're necessarily all that interested in acquiring another first rounder for DK Metcalf. They probably want to keep him in place for whatever quarterback it is they go out and get this offseason, whether it's David Carr, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe you give Jimmy Garoppolo a chance with, uh, with, with that wide receiving core and, you know, build it from there. But the Eagles, it certainly seems like, are very, very interested in significantly upgrading at wide receiver. So maybe Amari Cooper. Maybe the Eagles do. Get aggressive and try and trade for Amari Cooper here over the next couple of weeks. We kind of poo-pooed that idea, but it certainly seems as though the Eagles do want to upgrade at that position. And yes, they could 
pick use one of their first round picks for one of the many receivers in this draft who people think have a really bright future. And we can we're going to get into some more specific draft discussions in future episodes of the podcast with some draft insiders. And we'll take a look at the wide receiver class, and we'll take a look at the defensive line class, and we'll take a look at the uh, the the sec the cornerbacks and the safeties and all that kind of stuff. We'll get into that over the next few weeks. But uh, for there's also some good free agents that that are out there. Some of them may get tagged, and we're keeping an eye on the franchise tags as well uh, for some of these receivers. But the Eagles are interested in upgrading at wide receiver with a veteran. I think that's very very smart. Fletcher Cox has been in the news these last couple of days, apparently almost traded at last year's trade deadline. Ian Rappaport reports that Cox was nearly dealt last year and that teams around the league continue to call about the Eagles veteran defensive tackle. Now, 31 years old, Cox had a down year in 2021, only three and a half sacks in two of the last three seasons. Really, his production's been down two of the last three years, and he has a salary cap hit of $14.9 million this year. $12.7 $12.7 million in 2023 and $16.9 million in 2024. The Eagles kind of foolishly restructured his contract this, this year to give them some more space this season under the salary cap. But they've, again, kicked the can down the road. It's what Howie Roseman does. If the Eagles are going to trade Cox, they're going to have to eat a significant chunk of money, have a big dead cap hit, just like they did with Carson Wentz last year, probably somewhere along the lines of $25 million. Although... It's tricky. I mean, nobody really understands, very few people understand how the cap works and um, how all these different machinations, depending on where in the league year you are and when you make the trade. Apparently, if they wait till after June 1st, it's less money that they're willing to eat. But this is, trading Cox is not going to be an easy thing. I think it is something the Eagles should do. Move Milton Williams into the starting rotation, spend a first round pick on another defensive tackle or get one in free agency. But you're going to have to convince Cox, I think, to restructure the contract a little bit in order to go someplace else. But if he wants to stay in Philadelphia, he might not be willing to do that. So while there may be suitors for him, it's going to take some wrangling in order to make something happen. Mike Kay, again, who was on the podcast last week, noted that the Steelers had interest in Cox last year and that he probably could be had for a day two pick, a second or a third rounder, if that's possible, The Eagles should absolutely do it and then use one of their three first-round picks on a defensive tackle in the draft. I think if you're looking for a comp, you're not probably going to get what the Bears got for Khalil Mack, who was traded from the Bears to the Chargers this week. That netted the Bears a second-round pick this year as well as a sixth-rounder in 2023. I'm not sure. Why would you—sixth-rounder in 23? Okay. Um, I'm sure the Birds would jump on something like that, but you're probably looking at a third-round pick. For Fletcher Cox this year would be would be my guess. And um, something else I saw somewhere was that the Eagles still have about $20 million in dead cap money tied up in Malik Jackson, Derek Barnett, and Alshon Jeffrey uh, coming up this season. So if you take on more dead cap money, if you add another $25 million, and you're looking at like $45 million in dead cap money for this year alone again. So trading... Trading Fletcher Cox is not as simple as just saying, okay, off you go. Uh, wish you the best of luck, and thanks for the third-round pick. There's there's some contract stuff, as always, in the NFL that will need to be worked out. One of the great pieces of news we did see this week is that Jason Kelsey is returning. An Eagles Mount Rushmore figure coming back for another year, making the announcement on social media as he sipped beer from a huge keg, coming back for another season. This is obviously wonderful news as Kelsey is still one of the two or three best centers in the NFL. The Eagles signed him to a one-year deal that made him the richest 
center, the highest paid center in the NFL right now. Totally worth it. But the Eagles do know that they need to plan for the future. We can't keep going year to year like this. So they're either going to have to draft somebody this year who can be groomed as a center. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the first round because we know Jeff Stoutland can work miracles with people. Um, but they're going to have to invest in a center. I think I think the plan was to do that last year with Landon Dickerson, but he seems really comfortable at guard now. So I don't think the Eagles are looking to move him off of that spot. You could maybe, you know, Isaac Samalo has been whispered as one of those guys. I think if Kelsey went down with an injury, Samalo probably becomes the center and maybe Samalo is the long-term solution there. But my guess is the Eagles would probably invest in a true center in the draft at some point this year, either in day one or on day, either on day one or day two. I think this is obviously great news for Jalen Hurts, who will still have one of the best in the game in front of him in his second full season as a starter. And really, I think outside of Jalen Hurts, Kelsey is the most important player on this team. So really, really great news that he is coming back into the fold for 2022. A couple other things from inside the NFC East and really just the latest on the Dallas Cowboys. They're having active trade conversations involving their right tackle, Lyle Collins, according to Ian Rappaport. When he's been on the field, he's been very good, but he's struggled to stay on the field the last two years. He missed all of 2020 with an injury. And then early last year, um, uh, was suspended five games for violating the league's policy on, uh, on, uh, substance abuse. Um, when he's been on the field, he's been really, really good. He's graded at 80 or better per pro football focus in each of the last two years and he's, that he's played in 2019 and 21. So he's good against the run. Um, good at uh, good as a solid tackle when it comes to pass protection. But it looks like Lyle Collins could be on the move. That would be a, uh, a big loss for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the Dallas Morning News also reporting that the Cowboys have asked Demarcus Lawrence to take a pay cut. He has said no. And so his future with the club is now in doubt. They could be looking to move on from Demarcus Lawrence. The Cowboys did place the franchise tag on tight end Dalton Schultz at $11 million for $10.9 million for, for 2022. So they lock up a guy who really emerged for them in the passing game last season. Uh, and the team created $22 million in salary cap space by restructuring the contracts of Dak Prescott and Zach Martin. Uh, but Amari Cooper still could be on the move as it looks like the team is no closer to bringing him back. And again, if you're looking at a wide receiver option, a veteran wide receiver option, that could be that could be the guy that the Eagles end up bringing in. Listen, that's a lot of news to digest. And uh, as we go through the offseason, we'll continue to bring you all of the news from around the NFL that you need to know about so that you can keep an eye on the enemies that are out there. And that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks once again to Mark Bullock for coming on the podcast. Make sure to check out BleedingGreenNation.com each and every day for all of the latest news and rumors involving the birds and check out all of the great podcasts we have here at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Leave a rating and a review for Eye on the Enemy as well, if you wouldn't mind, when you get a chance. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. G-N.
Gene.